All right, let's go to Luke chapter 2, a passage we have been in for a couple of weeks now. We'll do it again today. Uh, we'll do it again next week as well. Unless the Lord should take us home, and then we'll be with Him. And uh, that would be great. But in Luke chapter 2, I'm going to start in verse number 8. We've already read some of this together. Um, so I'm just going to read through it quickly and have a word of prayer with you. Luke 2, 8, all the way through 20. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields, watching over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. When the angel had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. And when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things that were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as it has been told them. Heavenly Father, again, a privilege to... Open up your word, and though a passage is so familiar to us, there's much for us to glean. And I pray that our hearts, our minds, even our wills are ready to not only receive, but to respond to the great news that we talk about today. It's right here in your word, and you've been so kind to give it to us. So may we give our attention to you for this next uh, several minutes as we look to a passage I pray that you'll bless us in so many ways that we'll go away rejoicing as the shepherds did. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. We are looking at the shepherds' resolve. They were resolved to go. They were resolved to see. We've seen those two things already. Today we're going to talk about the fact that they were resolved to tell. And next week, they're resolved to praise. But I, I use that word, and I told you this two weeks now, the third time. This was on purpose. It was a determination on their part. Uh, it was a decision, a firm decision to do something. And they had just heard great news, and they responded to it. And I told you, that's a contrast to everybody else around, it seems, for a lot of people heard that Jesus Christ was born. They did not go. And we're not going to go back to Herod and all these others that I'm referring to. I'm just impressed with the shepherds here. And that's what we're looking at. In verse 17 and 18, we just read those passages. But when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things that were told them by the shepherds. 
the scene is not hard to set for you. That's the privilege of a, of a familiar passage here. The scene is not hard. You know they were shepherds. We always picture them, even in pageants and shows and everything else. They're out in their fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. The text is so clear. Suddenly, in the dark, an angel appears before them. It had to have scared them really well, because the angel's first words is, don't be afraid. Now, how's that? I mean, what else do you do when you see this bright light, this angel stand before you? But the angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them. And the glory of the Lord... I don't know what that looks like, but I know the day we see it, we're going to go on our faces too. The glory of the Lord shone around them. They were terribly frightened. And the angel had great news. And that's what it was really all about. It wasn't to impress them with the glory of an angel. It was to tell them the glory of good news. I bring you good news, the angel said. I bring you good news of great joy, which is for all people. Aren't you glad it wasn't just for them? Today, it's for you too, isn't it? It's for us. And we can rejoice in that message too. And he says, today, in the city of David, been born to you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. He didn't say born to you a baby. Not born to you a a religious leader. Born to you a prophet. Born to you a king. Born to you a Savior. And that leads a whole lot of questions to follow in its wake. Why do we need a Savior? Is that the best thing we need? Yes, it is. We need a Savior. And that's exactly what the Lord sent us. I sent you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And then we talked about the sign. They were to go and look and find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And then there was a whole bunch of angels, like our choir, like our choir, right? Singing and praising God saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among men with whom He is pleased. And suddenly the angels are gone. And there's the shepherds in the dark. I love that moment right there. What do you do now? This is where our our sermon series began. What do you do now? They resolved in their heart to go. They resolved in their heart to see and to tell, and to praise. And the shepherds began to say to one another, let us go straight to Bethlehem. Let's go in haste, is some of the words that we read as well. Let us go. You know, Bethlehem is where they chose to go. Where else would you go? They were just told where to find the Savior, right? Why would they go to someplace else? says, if it's in Bethlehem, let's go there. Go to the city of David. Let us go straight then. The angels only said the city of David, by the way. The angel didn't say Bethlehem, but they knew the city of Bethlehem was the city of David. That's where David's family was from. That's where David's uh, uh, descendants were from. That's where in the taxing and the census that was taking place at this time, where everybody was required to go to their hometowns, where their their family hometowns were concerned, we know that Bethlehem was the place where Mary and Joseph would be. Because Joseph was a descendant of David. So was Mary. And it says earlier in Luke's Gospel, here in chapter 2, when you start in the first part of the chapter, in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. You know this passage, don't you? I bet some of you could even quote it without even thinking. 
All the world would be taxed, or the census would be taken of the inhabited earth. And, and so they took this census while Quirinius, or everybody butchers the name. So whatever you want to say that name to be, Quirinius, Quirinius, it's always a tough one, but he was the governor of Syria. Everyone went to his, his own way to register for the census to his age, to his own city. That's why we have Joseph there. He went up from Galilee, remember? City of Nazareth up to the north, and he traveled his way down to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. There he was of the house and the family of David. They knew where to go. The shepherd said, over in the city of David. And they said, it's Bethlehem. It's right there. Let's go. You know, it wasn't even a hard journey. It was across the field, down the path. There was a city. It's right easy, convenient for them to go. But what I love about verse number 15 at the end, or verse 16, they came in a hurry. They came in a hurry. They weren't slow about this. Remember, they're seeking out a baby, right? They're seeking out a baby, born recently, wrapped up as a baby really ought to be, lying in a manger, a stable due to the overcrowded city, no doubt. We know that because Joseph couldn't find a room. How long do you think that baby's going to stay in a manger? Say, oh, it's always that way. Okay, ladies, imagine for a minute, you own the house where the stable is. And you just heard that a baby's born down on the side of the hill. Are you going to let it stay out there in the night? I'm going to guess you're going to say, uh-uh, baby's in the house tonight. Come on, come on. The shepherd said, we better hurry. If we're going to find a baby in a manger, we better get moving. Let's go find that baby. While we can find it as it's supposed to be. They came in a hurry. They made haste. The Living Bible says they ran. <laughs> I love the picture. That's you. Coming down the hillside. Shepherds running. You know, most people see that happening and say, uh-oh, what's wrong? And they say, oh, we've got to go find the baby. We've got to go find the Savior. He's out there. Let's run. And they're running down. The, the word is uh, spredo in the Greek. It looks like speedo, almost. <laughs> so they were going. They were fast. They were, they were urged on with diligence. They were running. They were running so eager. You know what's cool about that little word? That's the same word used for how we're supposed to study God's Word. When it says in Timothy, study, show yourself approved unto God, that's the Word. That's aggressive, isn't it? People say, well, I'll just get around to devotions. And they sit there and they, they have a glum look on their face and they just kind of read a few verses, drink their coffee. I did it today. They walk out of the room. That's not what the Word says. <laughs> this is aggressive, engaged. I can't wait to get to it. I'm eager to soak it in. I want to read it. That's a side note, by the way. It's not even in my notes. It just happened. That's the, that's the Word. I see it in front of me and I say, what a great Word. That's the picture of our shepherds running. And they're finding their way. They're searching, they're searching, they're searching. I could picture them going in, whipping open the door. Nope, no baby. Slam the door. Go to the next one. Whip open the door. You can picture that, can't you? They were very eager to find this child. And who knows how many stable doors they opened. Startled all kinds of animals and who knows what. But systematically, that's the word, found their way. Systematically. They went house by house by house, 
stable by stable by stable until success. Verse 17. When they had seen this, they found it. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which was told them about this child. I can picture them rushing into that room. You almost picture a little moment of chaos, don't you? It was so quiet there. At least that's what Silent Night tells us and all those other songs we read about. Away in the manger, the baby doesn't cry. And it's so quiet there in the manger scene and everything. And suddenly the doors fling open and all these shepherds come running in. How many? We don't know. I like to picture about 20. Maybe there were more. But it just adds to the scene to my mind. And they come rushing in there and they're all panting, right? What have they been doing for the next, last 20 minutes or so? Running and opening and closing and searching and other. And they come in and they're all panting and you can picture them on their hands on their knees because they're not used to that either. And they're just all puffing away and saying, <sighs> and Joseph's like, what are you doing here? We, 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 we heard this message and we've got to tell you. We got to tell you, they made known the statement. They couldn't wait to say it. They barged right in and said, let's tell them. What did they tell them? Well, this angel suddenly appeared in the dark. And this, this angel said, don't be afraid. There is born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And the signs that we were to follow brought us here. This is the child we've been looking for. This is what the angel told us to look for. Then all these other angels started praising God. And when they're gone, we said, let's go. And off we went. We come running down here. And this baby is the good news. This baby is what we've been waiting for. This is the Savior. This is the Savior. How those words must have echoed through that room. This is the Savior. Upon hearing that, how did Mary and Joseph respond? No doubt, I think, that they put together with information they knew too. What did Mary know? Well, if we go to Luke chapter 1, just back up a chapter here. Luke chapter 1, verse 30. Remember the the angel came to her? Told her she was going to have a child. She said, "Uh, uh, I don't think so. Oh, yes, you're going to have a child. Don't be afraid. God has a plan. This is going to be a surprise to everybody. But you're going to have a child. And in verse 30, the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great. And will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have no end. End of message. Joseph. He got a message too, didn't he? Well, the first message wasn't good news. Mary's a child? How could that be? And as he's thinking about that in Matthew chapter 1, if you just flip way back to Matthew, just a couple books before, chapter number 1, you find in verse number 20. Matthew 1 to verse 20. 
the message the angels gave to Joseph. He was thinking about what to do about Mary. And when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. The angel said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by by the Lord through the prophet. This is Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. So here's Mary and Joseph. Imagine as they're, they're walking along the road. They probably had several conversations in the past because when Joseph got this news, he went and took Mary for his wife. And they had time to discuss these things. And as they're comparing the messages, Mary says, I was told to name him Jesus. And Joseph says, well, so was I. Okay, that's easy. We both know it's going to be a boy. Wasn't that part of the deal? Uh, yeah, we, we know we're going to have a boy. So picking clothes was easy. Always blue, right? Make sure you got the right color. Mary says, but, but what I heard was he was going to be great. He's going to be called the Son of the Most High. Wow. He will reign on his father's throne, on David's throne forever. She got facts concerning Christ's second coming. And Joseph said, wait, wait, wait. That's not what they told me. They told me that he's going to save his people from their sins. That he will fulfill the promise that God will be with us. That's his first coming. And as they're comparing their notes together, no doubt, talked about it many times, here they are now in the scene where the baby's born and it's laying there in the, in the manger and they're saying, this is the Son of the Most High? This is, this is the Savior who God promised? This is the one? It's a baby! Of course, they knew it was a baby, but you know, when you look at a baby, suddenly you realize, that's a baby! What can it do? It doesn't look like a whole lot of, but there's something packed into this child that's incredible. And as they're talking about this, these shepherds come rushing in. Now you see where all my imagination kind of floats around with this passage too. But they're looking for the Savior. And how, how wonderful that must have been for Mary and Joseph to have those messages confirmed to them by total out strangers came and announced the facts that they had already known. They already knew. This was a unique child. Now the shepherds come in barging in and say, we found the Savior. And Joseph said, oh yeah, that's exactly what I was told. You know what the shepherds didn't know? They didn't know what Mary and Joseph had already known. They spoke to them like all of this was brand new information. Would it shock you if that was the first time you ever heard it? If you're sitting there and suddenly somebody comes in and says, Oh, by the way, that baby, that baby just born to you, that's going to be the king of a country. Really? That surprised you. You thought it was just a baby. Here, they didn't know that Mary and Joseph already heard things. 
And they came in and they said, we've got to tell you what we know. Here's what I had some fun with. You know, I like to look up the words and say, what's that mean? And it says, the shepherds told them. And I said, oh, that's got to be a good fancy Greek word. So I went looking for it. And guess what? It's not. <laughs> it's just a plain, everyday word you use to speak something. And then it suddenly dawned on me. <laughs> you don't have to be fancy to talk about Christ. You don't have to have big words and all kinds of poetry uh, concepts in your mind. You don't have to come up with all these anything. The fact is, anybody can tell the story. Anybody can speak of Christ. Just use your mouth. Speak the words. That's all they did. They spoke as if everybody knew nothing. That's bad grammar, I know. But there it is. They spoke as if... Everyone knew nothing, and they spoke so everyone would know everything. Just look at it. Verse 17, And when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had told them, been told them about this child. And all who heard it, verse 18 adds, wondered at the things that were told them by the shepherds. Just make some simple observations for you that I, I see in the shepherds telling Things that we could glean from this. And I would put it in this department, alright? Don't turn off if I use the word evangelism. Alright, who turned off? Nobody? Okay, don't. So many times, we, we, we talk about evangelism, people say, that's not for me, I can't do that, that's different. You know, it's got that ism on the end anyway and it scares you. You're not sure, what? What do you do? When I was a student at Moody Bible Institute, I took a class called Evangelism. Doesn't that sound wonderful? A whole semester of this. You say, just tell us the first day and we're done. No, they got to fill the whole semester with Evangelism and defining the word. And, and then we talked about techniques and how to do this and how to do that. We studied Evangelism Explosion. Some of you read that book? It's out there. We then went to personal evangelism techniques, and we read a book on that. And we read friendship evangelism techniques, and we read all that. And then we went to the master plan of evangelism, which Robert Coleman wrote, which is a fascinating book. And then you go to Josh Miguel, More Than a Carpenter, and you got to read all that. And then you go to J.I. Packer's book, Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God. I love that book. I've read it dozens and dozens of times. Then you get Pippert's book, Out of the Salt Shaker. And then you get Schaefer's book, True Evangelism. And then you get uh, Larry Moyer's theory. Can I ask you a question? You guys have seen him before, I think. Spurgeon had a great book. It's still out there, by the way, called The Soul Winner. Fascinating books on evangelism. All these books, we read them for class, read them for assignments. We had to learn techniques and all these other things. The shepherds didn't have any of those books to read before they rushed down the hill. They didn't study up on, what do I do with this? They did what anybody would do when they got good news. They told it. They told it. This is what's so, so wonderful, so easy about it. Open your mouth. Speak the words. Tell them what you know. Tell them what you know. In Romans, it, it gives us this picture. The, the essential parts of the process of evangelism is written in Romans 10. You've 
seen it before, you've heard it before, where it says, but what does it say in verse 8? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart, that is the word of faith, which we are preaching, that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Are you? Are you saved? Would you say, yes, I am? Do you believe Jesus Christ is Lord? Do you believe God raised Him from the dead? Do you believe He's your Savior? You will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness. With the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. The Scripture says, whoever believes in Him will not be disappointed. I love that. You will not, I guarantee it. Nobody's going to go to heaven and say, oh man, this isn't what I thought. Nobody is going to get to heaven and say, boy, this eternal life thing is just not what, it doesn't measure up. Nobody's going to be like that. It says you will not be disappointed. For there is no distinction between Jew or Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all. He abounds in riches to all who call on Him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Have you done that? How then, this is where it gets interesting, the process, how then will they call on Him who they've not believed? And how are they going to believe in Him who they've not heard? And how are they going to hear without a preacher? You say, well, there's Pastor Bob. Uh -uh. The word is herald. A herald. People say, what's exactly is a herald? When I was in high school, we had a musical group in our church. We, we played a lot of southern gospel music. We had banjos and guitars and stuff. And I was part of that group. And we called ourselves the Heralds. Because all we did, well, maybe he sounded like them too. We were a public crier. That's the old-fashioned English style where they stood on the street and told you everything was well at 2 in the morning. Or something like that. They'd cry out the news. They'd cry out the information that people needed to know. That's what a herald was. A herald was a public crier. And here, that's the same word being used here for how would they hear without a preacher? A herald. Somebody who's opening their mouth and saying the good news. So people can hear it. He didn't create the news. He just told it. The shepherds didn't create this story. They just told it. They just speak it. And when it comes down to the essential parts of evangelism, folks, to share Christ with somebody else, tell them what you know. Just tell them what you know. Speak to make them understand. Here's the first thing I always think. Assume they don't know anything. Too many times we assume they know something and we missed, a, we missed it right there. Because we think, well, they must know something. I hate to say this, but I think in the generations that are following right now, they don't know. They don't know the good news of the Savior. You want a mission field, just step outside the door. It's here already. We don't have to go far to say, where do I take evangelism? Where do I take this message of good news? You don't have to go far anymore. It's right outside around you. Speak as if they don't know anything. Tell them. Just tell them. Make it known to them. And speak so they know everything. Share with them what they need to know to understand. Now, I I qualify this point a little bit more. 
right? Because some people speak way too much. I don't know if you've ever met anybody like that. They, they go on for hours and hours and hours. They make no sense. Everybody's confused. They don't know what came of that story. But some people can take the simplest news item and confuse a whole lot of people with it. The old telephone game. We talk about that. That's old for us, but it was going around a long time. That last person who gets the message sometimes is a whole lot different from the first person who gave it. Because it's gone through a system and everybody, you know, accuracy is not there. Do you know there's a group out there that actually believe that Matthew's gospel was not very accurate? And that it missed certain points and Luke wrote to clean up Matthew's account? What? Have you forgot the Holy Spirit's involved in this one? I don't think there's mistakes like that. I don't believe that at all. And I don't, I really don't. But so often people embellish the stories. They embellish them and confuse and confuse because there's parts added. You know, Santa Claus was at the manger scene and stuff like that. I don't know where they get all this stuff, but they think they have to somehow make it look better than it is. Folks, there's nothing better than this message. You don't have to embellish it, just tell it. And tell it all the way through. Let them know that you're talking about the Savior. So they're not in doubt as to what you're talking about. Make it clear what the gospel message is. You don't need to correct it. You don't need to define it. You don't even need to defend it. Just speak it. Vance Havner used to say, God's word is like a lion. You don't have to defend it. Just let it out of its cage. And here, we've got a message that we don't have to adjust it. Our society is constantly saying, fix it. We don't like the way it is. You don't have to. Just speak it for what it is. Because the Word of God is the power that unites with our faith and saves the soul. The world's message will never save anybody. This one will. That's why we just say it for what it is. Speak it. Go from point one to point two. Just explain it. It's so simple. The shepherds made it known. That's what it says. They spoke a message so it would be understood. That's what they did. Simple principle in all this. You need to know what you know. Alright? You need to know what you know. You say, but Pastor, I don't know all this stuff. Learn it. It's in your book, isn't it? Is it there? Did you see it? When I said turn to chapter 2, was that, was that the words you read that I read? Learn it. You say, I, 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 don't know, I don't know how to share this. Share it. There's no other way to do this but to do what you're told to do. Share it. Be clear. Just be clear. Just say what it is. But I didn't go to Bible college. I haven't learned it. I didn't take a class on evangelism. I, I don't know what to say. Learn it. The Bible declares what is the salvation message. Didn't you hear it once and believe it? Didn't you? Somebody said it to you and you said, oh, yeah. What did you hear? Well, what you heard, say it. You don't have to complicate it. You don't have to add to it. Here's the simple thing. There was a blind man once. This blind man was healed by Jesus. And suddenly this great theological controversy breaks out in the temple. 
because they're bringing him in and bringing his parents in and, and questioning him, who is that man who healed you? And why did he heal you on that day? He must be a sinner. Surely he's a sinner. Don't you agree he was a sinner? Come on, confess he's a sinner. And then we can move on with it. And the guy said this in John chapter 9. Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, I once was blind, but now I see. There's the message. He says, I may not know every part. I may not know every piece of this, but I know how he's changed my life. And I bet every one of you can do that right now, can't you? Has not Christ changed your life? Speak it. That's all it says. Just say it. Speak to somebody as if they don't know anything. But make sure you tell them everything. Go through and share that gospel. Can I add one more point? Yes, I can. I've got time. Do it with a passion, folks. Some people speak of Christ as if they just got a mouthful of bitter pickles. Or like this. And you say, who wants that? And you look at their face, you think, I don't want that. You call that joy? Speak with a passion. Isn't that the best news in the world? Doesn't that motivate us to tell it? I, I don't mind talking about my baby granddaughter. You want pictures? I'll show you after. <laughs> you know. Why? Because we love to talk about that. There was a man, he had leprosy. No, he had, he had, he had demons. He had demons. And he was so torn up by the demons in Luke chapter 8, it says that they used to tie him up with chains and things like that. And he was out in the, the graveyards and up on the cliffs, and, and he was always away from people, and he'd scream during the night, and he'd gash himself, and, he'd, and he had these chains, and he'd break these chains, and, and everyone was scared to death of this man. And Jesus intentionally got in the boat and went right over to where he was. And got out of that boat. And what I know is, he did that intentionally because when he was done, he got back in the boat and went back the other way. He had one mission that day. And that was to see that man. And they came across the water. And no doubt the disciples are saying, uh, Lord, wait a minute. I know where you're going. Don't, don't go. Don't go there. Don't, 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 don't. Can you picture him trying to move the course to someplace else? You don't want to get out of the boat. No, Lord, don't get out of the boat. Don't. Oh, Lord, don't go. Don't go near that man. Can you picture him saying it? And he kept going. He was resolved to see that man. And he went right up to that man. And that man came running out to see him and fell before him. Luke records that he, he shouted with a loud voice, What do we have to do with each other, Jesus, you son of the Most High God? I beg you, don't torment me. And Jesus commanded the spirits to leave the man. And they did. They did. I love this story. Because as you read through that, you know there's some pigs in the story. And all those other things. I'm going to bypass all that. Because what I liked was at the end of this. The demons are gone. The man's in his right mind. He's sitting there. He's fully clothed. He, he, he understands what has just happened and he turns to Jesus and says, can I go with you? Can I go with you? And Jesus said to him, no. Go back to your house and dis- 
describe to them what great things the Lord has done for you. You know what he sent them on? A shepherd's journey. Go and tell. Go and tell. Just go and tell. Go and tell. And this man, it says in Luke, it says, he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done for him. You know, a person who's been changed has a message. And all of us who know Christ as Savior has been changed. That means you have a message. You have something you can say. Once I was blind, but now I see. Once I was lost, but now I am found. Once I was, but now I am because of Jesus. You have a message. Just speak it. Just speak it. But show them the difference that's made in your life. Put the passion into it. Because you know it's real. And you know how much it means to you. Have you ever thought about how much God loves you? Have you really? I want to read to you something. I, I read it several times this week, and then we read it yesterday in the car again, and I said, I've got to put this in the sermon. This, this is a devotional. It's very short, just two paragraphs long. It was written by Charles Spurgeon a hundred and some years ago. And uh, he's talking about, uh, O you Bethlehem of Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days or eternity, is the word that some translations have. And this is what he comments on. Not only when you were born into this world did Christ love you, but his delights were with the sons of men before they were any sons of men. Often did he think of them. From everlasting to everlasting, he has set his affection upon them. Believer, has he been so long about your salvation? Will he not accomplish it? Has he from everlasting been going forth to save me? And will he lose me now? Has he who's made me in his hands as his precious jewel will now let me slip between those precious fingers? Did he not choose me before the mountains were formed? Or the channels of the deep scooped out? And will he lose me now? Impossible. I am sure that he would not love me so long and then leave off loving me. If he intended to be tired of me, he would have been tired of me long before now. If he had not loved me with a love as deep as hell itself and the unutterable as the grave, if he had not given his whole heart to me, I am sure he would have turned from me long ago. He knew what I would be, and he has had long time enough to consider it. But I am his choice. He's contented with me. He must be contented with me, for he has loaned me long enough to know my faults. He knew me before I knew myself. He knew me before I was myself. Long before my members are fashioned, they were written in his book. His eyes of affection were set on them. He knew how badly I would act toward him, and yet he has continued to love me. Do you have a message you could share? Do you know how much he loves you? This is the Savior we're talking about here. This is the resolve that the shepherds had. I've got to tell. I've got to tell. That's what they did as they rushed into that room. Even if those people had never heard it, I'm going to tell it. 
but I'm going to tell it so they will never forget it. So I'm going to ask you something, just simply this. Who are you going to tell about your Savior? Do you want to? Do you have need to? Do you have a passion to? I'm not talking about getting a degree to do it. All you need is a Savior to talk about Him. And if you have one today, you have something to talk about. That's the resolve I see in this passage. And I just bring it before you here this morning because, you know, it is Christmas week. And we've got a perfect forum for it, don't we? To share Christ. Are you going to do that? Are you going to just speak it? Let somebody know? Why? Has He changed your life? That's what it comes down to. I've got to tell. I've got to tell. Return to your house and describe what great things God has done for you. Heavenly Father, when we think about the glorious message that we have received, a Savior, our Savior, Christ the Lord, who has changed us forever, we thank you. But Lord, may we not hold this news inside our hearts. We've got people to tell. We've got a world that needs to hear this message. There's ample, ample opportunity. Give us a passion for it, we pray. A resolve deep within to say, I want to tell somebody what Jesus has done for me. Lord, may this be a fascinating week, a wonderful week, an incredible week. But most of all, may heaven be ringing with the news that another one has come to know Christ as Savior. Another one has believed in their heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. Another one has come to receive Him. May heaven be bombarded with the good news as well that comes from the people on this earth who respond to such a message as this. And may we be eager to tell. Thank you, Lord, for putting us in the story, giving us a chance to be like a shepherd today. And share the good news. We praise you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.